Our sermon series is called, or our sermon for today, is called Proof of Life. There's the hashtag right there. If you're going to put something on social media, please use that hashtag so we can see what you write. If you want the sermon notes, right here's the email address you use. And as I say every week, or our other pastors say every week, use this email address to communicate anything to us that you would like to, questions, comments, whatever. Let's give it up for all those who stood in my place while I was going and did some awesome preaching. Yeah, buddy. We've been talking about a big announcement. Can I tell you that because of the hard work of Pastor Andrew Price, you guys know who he is? Pastor Andrew Price, our children's pastor, who is going to be our Mount Olive campus pastor. He has been working hard, and he has been working with the University of Mount Olive or Mount Olive University. And uh, he has gotten a contract signed. Mount Olive University is going to be the location of our Mount Olive campus. They have a beautiful, amen, they have a beautiful 400-seat auditorium there. And we're going to be using that auditorium until we get our permanent spot. And a lot of you have been asking uh, if you can get involved. Yes. You say, what is the requirements for me to be involved? Take these two fingers, put them right there. Do you feel a pulse? You meet the requirements. We will work you like a rented mule to get this church started. Now, look, let me make something really clear. On April 12th, I believe it's on your screen there, yes, April 12th, 7 o'clock, Goldsboro campus, we're going to have an information meeting about the Mount Olive campus. The Mount Olive campus will be launching, having its first service on October 9th. So we've got a lot of work to do, and we need all hands on deck for the launching of that church. Now, to help us with that church, we are not requiring you to attend that church, but we do need everybody's help who can help us get that launch going. We're going to tell you at the information meeting different levels of commitment that you can make. You can serve there, but attend another church when you're not serving one of our other campuses. And so please, please come to the information meeting. Yes, you can help. You do not have to commit to attend there uh, to be a part of the launching of that church. So we'll give you more information on October 12th at 7 o'clock at the Goldsboro campus. Bridge Kids is booming at the Goldsboro campus, and it is so successful, and we're reaching so many kids that we've had to add to our children's space there, and we're adding 2,350 square feet that will be ready about the end of April. Let's praise God for what's going on at Goldsboro campus. That's going to double the size of our current Bridge Kids and Student Ministry there, and we'll have a total then of 9,350 square feet. And why are we doing that? Because we want to reach as many young families and children and students for God as we can in the time that is left before His great return. Also today is Connections Sunday. So if you are new to our church, you've been coming for a little while, or maybe today is your first visit, when you exit these doors, you will go to your left. When you exit today, 
just go to your left. There is a place right over here in the corner called Next Steps. It's our Next Steps area. And when you head that way, somebody's going to get your attention and they're going to show you uh, where the meeting is, the Connections meeting. It's going to last just a few minutes. All we're going to do before you go home is tell you what your next step is to get more involved or to get to know more about our church, okay? Now, you, gotta, you might be saying, i got to rush out there, man, because, you know, Bojangles and the Baptists are coming, and i got to get on out there. Now, listen, if you rush out there, you know what you're going to do? Sit in your car and wait, and your sanctification is going to get tested out there in the parking lot. So if you will just go to next steps and just find out what's going on, what your next step is here at the bridge, then when you get out, the parking lot will probably be clear and you can head on out. We'd love to have you at Next Steps. You all know the resurrection story. I could preach on the resurrection um, every Sunday because really that's what every service we have here at the bridge is about. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, there would be no need for us to meet next week. We could just announce today, we just found out Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. It's all over. Forget it. We have no hope. That would be the announcement today. But we know that Jesus did rise from the dead. We know the story in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to go to Matthew today, and we're going to go to chapter 28. And the scripture that I'm going to read to you today, the setting for that, is uh, it's right after the resurrection. The Roman guards were there. Uh, they saw all the miraculous supernatural things that happened. The angel, the earthquake, the rolling of the stone. They are there. Then some women come right after that. And uh, they are met there by an angel. And all of that's going on. So when the women have this short conversation with the angel, we're picking up right there in Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. We're in the Amplified Bible, and that's a great Bible if you don't have that in your library. While they were on their way, in other words, while the women were on their way to Galilee, while they were on their way, some of the Roman guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests, the Jewish leaders, everything that had happened, verse 12. And when the, key, and when the chief priest uh, had gathered with the elders and had consulted together, that's the Sanhedrin, had consulted together to develop a plan of deception. That's why they had this meeting in verse 12. They gave a sufficient sum of money as a bribe to those soldiers, those Roman soldiers, verse 13. And they said to the Roman soldiers, the Jewish leaders said to the Roman soldiers, you say this, we're going to give you this money, and this is the story you're going to tell. You tell everybody that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, came at night and stole him while we were sleeping. That's the story we're going to tell. We know the story you just told us, but we're not going to go with that story. Here's the story we're going to go with. His disciples stole his body. Verse 14. And if the governor, Pilate, hears about it, and I'm going to add the Pharaoh Hardison version here, and gets ticked off at you guys because you went to sleep and let the disciples steal the body. If he gets upset with you about that, we're going to have your back. Let me read that now in the Amplified Version. And if the governor, Pilate, hears about it, we will calm him down and keep you out of trouble. How about that? So, boy, I got this whole, this whole plan, man, this whole 
detailed plan on how to lie about the resurrection of Jesus and how to cover it up. Look at verse 15. So they, the Roman soldiers, took the money. They were paid for lying, in other words, and did as they were instructed. And this fabricated story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this present day, the writing of this book of the Bible. The passage here is all about bribery. It's all about a lie. A lie that was told regarding the resurrection of Jesus. I was reading about a man named Godfrey Hardy, who was a Canadian scientist. And Godfrey Hardy asked two really important questions about the resurrection. He said, first of all, has anyone ever defeated death? And secondly, if someone has defeated death, did they make a way for me to defeat death also? Hardy found the answer to both those questions in his own personal life and discovered that the resurrection of Jesus was true and Hardy gave his life to God, gave his life to Jesus Christ, and received eternal life. He believed in the resurrection of Jesus, that a man had defeated death, and he believed that it made a way for him to defeat death as well. The reality for each one of us is this. Now, I'm going to preach it plain today. I want you to hear me. There is no hope of life after death. No hope of eternal blessing and joy in heaven apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let there be no misunderstanding. This may be a little narrow-minded for some of you who are here today. I totally get that. You might be new to church. You might be here because somebody bugged the daylights out of you to come with them to church today. Thank you for bugging them, and thank you for coming. <laughs> but I want to tell you, that there should be no misunderstanding about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To reject the resurrection for whatever reason is to forfeit all hope of a future life. To reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is to condemn one's very own soul to an eternity without God. To reject the resurrection of Jesus from the grave means that the unbeliever not only loses his future in heaven, but also loses the meaning and the value of his present life here. Because see, if you don't have a future life in heaven, if you don't understand about eternity in Christ, eternity in heaven, then how can your present life have any real meaning? I want you to look at what the wise man Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. He said, God has planted eternity in the human heart. Have you ever noticed that no matter what religion you study, no matter what religion you study, no matter what false religion you study, a religion that's not based on the Bible or based on Christ, no matter what religion you study, all of them are really big on eternal life. That shows you that God has planted the desire to live forever in every human heart. Now, a lot of people, can I go ahead and say, a vast majority of people today are going about that the wrong way. And they're seeking eternal life the wrong way. 
They are going in the wrong direction. They're seeking the wrong source. The Bible says wide is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to heaven. And that's because there are so many who are going in the wrong direction to receive eternal life. But eternal life, the desire to live forever is in everybody. It's in everybody here today. Everybody sitting in this auditorium. In a little while, you guys will exit and a whole other group will come in and fill this auditorium. All of them, all of the people all over the world in church on this Easter, in them is a desire to live forever. And this God-given desire can never be satisfied in this temporary life on the earth. This means that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the key to hope. It is the key to the hope of eternal life. Now I want you to hear me. This is how narrow we are here at the bridge. It is not only the key, his resurrection to your eternal life. It's the only key. It's the only key. You say, but Oprah said, there are many ways to God. I know she did, but it's not true. There is one way to God. Let's go to the Bible. Y'all like the Bible? Let's check the Bible out. Let's go to John 11. And we're going to read out of the New King James Version. So if Jesus comes, we'll all go to heaven. Okay, John 11. John 11, verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the... He, here it is, there are requirements. There are, there are conditions to you receiving eternal life. Here's the condition he who believes in me, though he may die, this physical body may die, this earth suit may die. Can I ask you all a question? Are you kind of tired of your earth suit? I'm tired of my earth suit, and my earth suit is getting tired. When I play golf, I ride in a cart. It doesn't matter. When I'm done, i got to go home and lay down. I am tired of this earth suit, I'm telling you. So though this earth suit may die, if he has believed in Jesus, he shall what? Live. That means eternally, eternal life. And whoever lives and believes in me, whoever lives for me and believes in me shall, come on. Right there it is, man. Right there it is. Eternal life. You want eternal life? It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and we won't go there because I want to preach on that. But 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, and I, I hope you'll study this. This will be a great uh, thing for you to study this week, Easter week. Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and then he gives a list of all the things that, are, that would, wouldn't be true. All the awesome, wonderful blessings we enjoy. Paul says, I want you to understand, had Christ not risen from the dead, this wouldn't be true and this wouldn't be true. and You wouldn't be able to have salvation and you wouldn't be able to go to heaven. And he goes through this list of all the things that would be uh, heartbreaking true because Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But then at the end he says, but Jesus did rise from the dead. And he said, and because he rose from the dead, you have hope of eternal life. Now, let me make it clear, it's not enough just to believe in the historical fact of the resurrection. It's not enough just to believe in the historical fact of the cross and that Jesus died on the cross. That's wonderful that you believe actually, historically, that happened. 
A lot of people believe and think that if I just believe he did die on a cross and I believe he did rise from the dead, then I'm a Christian. No. No, it's not enough to believe historical facts. It is when you humble yourself at his feet and you understand that without him you are cut off from the Father and you surrender your life to him and you accept his death on the cross as payment for your sin. And you accept for yourself personally the fact that the reason he rose from the dead is to give you eternal life. And you give your life to him. That's why when we baptize people, and I heard we baptized some people recently while I was gone. That's why we put you under the water and hold you there until you say tithe It's really got our giving up here at the bridge. That's not true. <clears throat> That's why we baptize. We don't sprinkle you, and we're not, we're not busting on anybody who does that. But see, it's got to picture something. Water baptism has to picture something. And so it pictures death. When you go in the water, that's death to your old life, death to your old self, death to who you used to be. And when you come up out of the water, that's a picture of new life in Jesus. It's a new life in him as you bow before him. There are a lot of false explanations for the resurrection of Jesus, a lot of fabricated theories. I want to just mention a few very quickly. There's the theory that the reason Jesus got up out of the grave is because he never really did die. That he actually, because of the wounds and the loss of blood, he was in a coma. And when they brought him into the tomb, the coolness of the tomb and the spices revived him. Now that's one of the main theories of those who don't want to believe in the resurrection. Secondly, there's a theory that Christ never was put in the grave to begin with, so of course he wouldn't be there on Sunday. There's the theory that uh, people had such a strong desire to believe in Jesus' resurrection, they actually talked themselves into believing that they saw him after he died. And then there's the theory that says that there was no physical resurrection. Listen to this one. Rather, God sent back mental pictures by some divine slide projector and put them in the minds of people. So they would think they saw Jesus alive. These are real theories. These people are serious. Now these people can believe this, but they can't believe in the resurrection. Fifth, there's a theory that a medium held a seance. And the spirit of Jesus showed up. And they said, he's risen. And then there was another theory. And I could go on and on, but I love this last one. Somebody dressed up just like Jesus. After, the, after the, uh, they put him in the tomb, they, somebody dressed up like Jesus three days later and went around impersonating him and freaking people out. Renan, the French atheist, tried to discredit the resurrection of Jesus Christ by saying that it was based on the testimony of an eccentric, delirious, frightened woman named Mary Magdalene who had seven demons and was historic, historical. I heard about a preacher who was counseling with a man and his wife to try to keep their marriage together. And the husband said to the preacher, she gets historical. He said, you mean hysterical? He said, no, I mean historical. She brings up everything I've ever did wrong. <laughs> so they thought this theory from the Renan, the French atheist. Man, I'm so glad I thought of that joke and got myself out of that. 
that this woman was hysterical, seven demons, and she was going around saying this stupid stuff like Jesus was risen from the dead. But when I read that one, I assumed he forgot the 500 plus other witnesses and the 10 separate appearances recorded in the word of God after Jesus rose from the dead. G.D. Yarnold, in his book, Risen Indeed, I love God's going to be so brilliant. Suggests that in only three days that the body of Jesus simply evaporated. You can believe that, but you can't believe in the resurrection. These are false theories that leave a lot to be desired. If someone's going to deny the resurrection of Jesus, if you're going to deny it and you're going to go with a theory, let me tell you the theory you need to go with because it's the best one. It's the one the Jews came up with. When the Roman soldiers came back and told the Jewish leaders, why Jesus rose from that, uh, what they had experienced at the tomb, the Jewish leaders immediately thought right off the bat, hey, we got to tell a story. We can't let this get out. we got to tell a story. So let's tell everybody that his disciples came and stole his body. Because, see, that's the only theory that um, answers the question of how did his body go missing. There's a missing body here. So we got to tell that the disciples stole it. If Jesus didn't leave on his own, and it never was he was never raised from the dead, then somebody had to have taken his body. Theft is the only false theory, again, that makes any sense. So if you were going to go with the theft theory, the next question you have to ask is, who took it? Well, we know the, the Jews wouldn't take it because they wanted his body to be there. They didn't want his body to be gone. They wanted it to be there. They, didn't, they wanted there to be a, a dead, um, uh, corruptible body just disintegrating in, uh, in its state there. And so we know it wouldn't have been them. And so then the Romans, they wouldn't have taken it because they really didn't care about the whole issue of Jesus and his death and the resurrection. They didn't get any of it and didn't really care. So the Jews were forced to come up with the lie that would be most believable and they decided they'd go with the lie that his disciples stole the body. Now, you have to keep in mind something. When you, when you read about this and you think about them wanting to take, his, um, take this story and tell that he was stolen, you have to remember they've always been trying to kill him. They've always been trying to get rid of Jesus. Let me ask you something. You remember, how many of y'all remember when we used to do that Easter drama called The Cross and the Crown? You remember that? You remember that scene in the Easter drama where um, Pilate washed his hands? Well, that's what these disciples, that's what these uh, Jewish leaders, rather, are trying to do. They're trying to get Jesus off their hands. They're trying to wash Jesus off their hands. They want to get rid of Jesus. They've been trying to get rid of him since he was born. You remember Herod the king through mass murder of little innocent babies tried to get Jesus caught up in that and kill him at his birth. They used curses and accusations to discredit his ministry. They used betrayal to capture him, injustice to sentence him to death, blackmail to get him executed, forced to keep his body in the grave. The stone was there. The guards were there. They were going to force him to stay in the grave. And now here we are, and they're just panicking, and they've got to use bribery to spread a lie about his resurrection. And all of these efforts proved to be completely useless when you read your Bible. They only demonstrated the belief or unbelief, rather, of the people. Now let's examine, <clears throat> examine the events surrounding the story that I just read to you out of Matthew 28. Let's just kind of look at all that and, and really look at it from a logical perspective. Uh, uh, you know, God, when he saved you, he didn't tell you to check your brains at the door that he would take over all your thoughts now, did he? 
I mean, when I gave my heart to the Lord, he still gave me my, he still uh, works through my mind and works through my thoughts and works through my reasoning. And what I have to do as a Christian each day is give him more and more and more of my mind so that I will think the way he thinks, thus speak the way he speaks, and be more like him. Are y'all with me out there? So Jesus was placed in the garden tomb on Friday. On Sunday around dawn, a group, of, a group of women arrive at the tomb, and as they are approaching the tomb, there's an earthquake. The stone that covered the entrance had been rolled away and was now lying flat on the ground, and sitting on that stone is a blazing, flaming angel in white garments. Can I just tell y'all, y'all know how I am about angels, I don't really need the blazing, flaming I mean, if there's an angel there going. But I got to tell you, blazing, flaming will get your attention, I would think. So when they see this angel sitting there on the stone, uh, and I love what one writer said. He said, you know, it was the descending from heaven of that angel that caused the earthquake. I never thought of that, but I really liked it. I mean, that angel's like a superhero. <laughs> It's how I think. It's how I think. Makes the Bible exciting for me. So the angel says to the women, hey, ladies, ladies, I know you're, you're crying and I know you're just distraught. I know you're, uh, if, if the angel talked in our modern language, he said, I know you're freaking out. He said, but I just want to tell you, he's not dead. He's not dead. Matter of fact, not only is he not dead, is he not dead, he's not, he's not even in there. Now, they were women. So even though there's a blazing, flaming angel with wings saying to them, he isn't in there, they say, let us go look for ourselves. I'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you what's in the Bible. So, so they went in and examined the tomb, and the body of Jesus, sure enough, was gone. Now, don't forget that these soldiers were guarding the tomb, and they had just left right before the ladies got there. Look what the Bible says in Matthew 28 and 4 about them. It's not going to come up on the screen, so just listen. The Bible says, when the soldiers saw the angel. Now, these are macho men, baby. They got the helmet they got the sword. They got the breastplate. They got that little skirt. They're, they're, I'm like looking at that whole outfit going, really? Y'all were doing good till you went and a skirt. So, so these macho men, the Bible says in Matthew 28 and 4, when they, the soldiers, saw the angel, they, uh, for fear of him, the guards did shake and became as dead men. And I don't know that this happened, but I think they shook, made a little girl scream, and fell out. <laughs> These macho men. <laughs> now you got to understand, the Roman guards saw the angel, and their fear caused them to faint. They experienced the earthquake. 
They experienced the moving of the stone. They experienced the arrival of this angel. And it was all too much for them to even remain conscious. So as the women leave the tomb to go to Galilee, to go find the disciples and tell what they've seen and heard, guess who they run into? The risen Jesus. They run into the risen Jesus, and Jesus says to them, Ladies, don't be afraid anymore. Stop being afraid. Here's what I need you to do. Go tell my disciples that I will meet them in Galilee. So the women arrive in the city, and they begin looking for the disciples so they can tell them what Jesus told them to tell the disciples. Now, the Roman guards have regained their consciousness So about 12 of them arrive in the city about the same time as the women do, and they've come to report to another group. So the women are reporting to the disciples. The Roman guards are reporting to the Jewish leaders. And uh, the guards come, and they say, hey, man, we got to tell you what we just saw. You know, we're not into religion. We're not into this whole Jesus thing and this whole Messiah thing. We're not into any of this. We don't even know what's going on. We're just telling you this is what we saw. There was an earthquake. And the stone that you guys put in front of there that you had us and about 10 other guys roll in front of that wall, I want to tell you that stone's gone. They moved it. It fell over on its side. And then there was this blazing angel sitting on the stone and the tomb is empty and we fell out. We just fainted. I'm sorry. When this detailed information from eyewitnesses now, these Roman soldiers had no reason to lie. They didn't even really care whether Jesus was alive or dead. They were just doing what the Jewish leaders told them. And they're eyewitnesses, and they're coming in. They tell the Jewish leaders, hey, man, this is what we saw. This is what happened. These Jewish leaders were so resistant to Jesus, so resistant to this Messiah that was born a little baby in a manger in Bethlehem. They couldn't handle it. So blind to the truth, so sinful and self-willed in their heart. They were so locked into their own religious belief system. Now you have to understand this. I don't want to preach too long on this, but these Jews had created a religious system that had nothing to do with the Word of God. How many of you know there are religious systems? Can I go a little further? How many of you know there are religious systems under the banner of Christianity that have created systems to control people? You can say amen to that. They've created systems. Well, these Jews have created a system where they were the hierarchy. Really, they had appointed themselves as God. And this Jesus coming had messed up their system. That's why they hated him. That's why they wanted him crucified. So they wouldn't even investigate this eyewitness report of these Roman soldiers. They simply refuse to believe in the resurrection. Now, I don't want you to understand something. They didn't have to believe in the resurrection, and neither do you. You don't have to believe in the resurrection. You can walk out of here today and go, well, that was nice, that was interesting. And you can go on back about your life because our God will not force you to believe in anything that you don't want to believe in. He will bring the truth to you. He will bring the Holy Spirit to you to tell you this is the truth. But that choice is up to you, whether you believe or not. As a matter of fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, he talks about the God of this world that can blind our minds. Now the news from the guards to the Jewish leaders brought shock 
and fear. But here's the problem. It did not bring repentance. The news from the guards to the Jewish leaders did not bring faith. It did not bring repentance. It only brought shock and fear. When the Jewish leaders heard what they said, here's what they did do. They thought immediately, we cannot let this get out. This thing about Jesus being risen from the dead, we cannot let that get out. We have to stop it. Whether it's real, whether their story's true or not, it doesn't matter. We have to stop this story from being told. We don't even care about the truth. We're only interested in preventing people from hearing about what these Roman guards have said and messing up our religious system. They knew they couldn't let the people think Jesus was alive or they'd have a bigger problem than they had ever had because they knew if the people found out Jesus was alive, they would turn from them, Jewish leaders, as their leaders, and they would turn to Jesus. So they knew they had to stop it. So they called an official meeting of the Sanhedrin, which is the governing body of the Jewish people at that time. and They created and passed a formal resolution guarding what they were going to do regarding what they were going to do with this information about Jesus being in the tomb. So it was a three-part resolution. Number one, we will pay the Roman soldiers to tell a lie. Number two, the lie will be that Jesus' disciples came and stole the body. And the third part of that resolution was if Pilate gets mad at them, we will vouch for them so that he will not take vengeance on the guards for falling asleep so that his body could be stolen. I mean, they had this thing covered. There was so much proof of the resurrection of Jesus. There was so much evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, it was impossible for the Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers to deny it, so they had to lie. They knew that Christ had by some means risen from the dead supernaturally. Something supernatural had happened, and they could not refute that. So to preserve their ungodly system, they had to lie. What Matthew's showing us here is that the lie they come up with is really absurd. I mean, it offends our logic, it offends our reasoning, it offends the facts. And Matthew proves, listen now, the resurrection by exposing the lie. Because if Jesus wasn't risen from the dead, we don't need a lie. We need a lie because he did rise from the dead. So he's exposing the lie. He's exposing the lie and he's validating the resurrection. Matthew revealed that the soldiers had to be paid, that a bribe was necessary. In chapter 28, whether you are talking to his friends, the friends of Jesus, or whether you're talking to the enemies of Jesus and what they're saying and what they're thinking, you're going to come up with the same conclusion, and that is that Jesus rose from the dead. Bible theologians, the greatest Bible theologians of our day who seek truth, real truth, true truth, will tell you that the resurrection of Jesus, that there is no other historical event more thoroughly confirmed than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The silliness of this explanation by the Jewish leaders only demonstrates the reality of the resurrection. And because he lives, life is given to all who believe in him. Now let's close today by talking about how this affects you. How does this affect you? What does this have to do with you? Let's go to the book of Romans. Paul says in Romans 10... 
9 and 10. If who? So he's taught, so we're coming down. We've got our history. We've got our story. We've told our Bible story today. You know, a lot of truth that does apply to us has already been exposed, but boy, we're about to get real here. If Farrell Hardison, my buddy Paul Bradford's here today, if Paul Bradford, if Andy Stovall confesses with his mouth, your mouth, Jesus as Lord. So the word if is a little word, but it means there's a condition to getting eternal life. There's a condition you have to meet. If Pharaoh confesses Jesus Christ with his mouth as Lord and believes in his heart, what do I have to believe? That God what? Raised from the dead. What will happen to Pharaoh? I'll be saved. What will happen to you if you believe that? In your, not just here, not just intellectually, in your heart. In the deep of you. He rose from the dead. He died in my place. He died for my sins. He rose from the dead for me. Look at the next verse. Verse 10. For with the heart, not the mind, but with the heart, a person believes. Resulting in their righteousness. Not your righteousness really, but him making you righteous. How many of you know you can't get there on your righteousness? Your righteousness is as filthy rags. So you just look that up in your Bible study. It's pretty gross. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, you got to say it, man. you got to speak it. He confesses, and that will result in, which means eternal life. I looked at that word salvation. It means deliverance. It means hope. When a person believes, what a person believes about the resurrection determines where they'll spend eternity. What you believe about the resurrection will determine where you go when you leave this world. Salvation, eternal life, belongs to those who believe in the biblical account of the resurrection. Salvation, eternal life, belongs to those who confess Jesus as Lord and identify themselves as his committed follower. That's why we baptize people. You're not saved when you get baptized. You're saved before you get baptized. Y'all with me? And then you get baptized to identify with Jesus. You want the world to know I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what water baptism is. That's why we don't do it secretly. It's like the little girl. You remember that story who came up to her pastor? She had gotten saved. And the little girl came up to her pastor and said, Pastor, Pastor, I got saved. I need to get advertised. And somebody says, she got that wrong. And the pastor said, no, man, she got that right. Because that's what baptism is. That's when you say to the world, I'm about to mess up my hair for Jesus. I want everybody to know that I, from this day forward, am a follower of Jesus Christ. What is your response to the resurrection of Jesus? What's your response? Those who refuse to believe and explain it away are committing spiritual suicide. They have no hope of a glorious future with their creator and no more meaning in this present life. Those who believe in the resurrection in their heart and receive him into their heart, his work and his person, 
will receive eternal life in heaven with their creator and this present life therefore will have meaning and hope. The message of the Christian gospel is this. Only in Christ who died on the cross and rose again from the dead can a person find hope in this life and in the life to come. Would you stand with me?